0: Hello everyone, my name is Graham Waldrop and alongside me as always is Adam Kalal and We Are Atlanta's Own, a podcast hosted by two Atlanta natives dedicated to recapping the week in Atlanta professional sports and providing all the insight and analysis on the city's teams from the perspective of two lifelong Atlanta sports fans. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, I'm doing great tonight. It's our first
1: ever uh, primetime recording, Friday night. Normally wait till Sunday, so got the
0: whole weekend ahead of us. Big... big uh... Big week in Atlanta this past week. Absolutely. We got the first game ever at SunTrust Park. We have uh, Atlanta United actually happening right now. We're watching the game as we record, which is always fun. Not to mention we lost a bridge this week. We did lose a bridge. I drove a collective four and a half hours today from Norcross back to West Midtown, back and forth, back and forth. Pretty miserable. That's a lot of driving. You know, the, the Braves are pretty stoked about this whole bridge
1: thing, because were they still at Turner Field? Like, there was only pretty much one way to get to Turner Field, which was right where the bridge collapsed. It is But now they're like, oh, Cobb County. There's like eight different ways to get there. Right, and it is interesting, too. I
0: mean, I wonder how this is going to impact the Hawks, you know, conceivably if they make the playoffs. Are there going to be like 500 people there because you can't take 85 to get to the stadium? yeah. I guess it's going to be up to guys like us that won't be affected by that, right? Exactly. Get to the stadium to it's, go to the games. It,
1: the city guys, yeah, already live in there. I mean, I suppose that's what 285 is for and all that.
0: I reckon. Uh, today's episode,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think people would like our grab and Adam discuss the different
0: interstates in Atlanta yeah. podcast. Uh, yeah, if you wanted to listen to that, you're, you've been yeah you you are tuned into the right show. Let's see. On today's show, the primary focus of conversation is going to be on the Braves, as the start of the regular season is right around the corner. SunTrust Park is just opening up; its first exhibition game tonight. And uh, so, we've done a lot of research. Adam's been crunching the numbers. By uh,
1: far, the most research I've done for this show, um, and it only included one Wikipedia page. So, my brain is quite sore right now. A little
0: now. overloaded, right? Yes. Need some more alcohol to take the uh, take the edge off, Indeed. perhaps. Um, so yeah we're going to be doing a complete breakdown of the Braves from a offensive defensive and pitching perspective and then come to the table with our predictions on the players and on the team as a whole and where we think the Braves will wind up this season in the National League East. So for those of you that have been living under a rock or don't want to remember the horrific season that was in 2016 for the most part, hopefully you weren't living under the bridge by, I-85 in Peachtree. Right. I heard a lot of people making jokes about that. Uh, Tom Brady took it down. That was another Atlanta collapse. It
1: it only works because no one got hurt or died. Right. If that
0: had happened, then it would be highly insensitive. Even still, I think it's highly insensitive. uh, The jokes are pretty funny. Who the hell are they to keep talking shit about us? Our bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they can do whatever the fuck they want. It's America. Um. So anyways, the Braves last year were 68-93, and 93, finished in last place in the division for the first time since, I think, 1990 or something like that. Um, really turned it around, though. And we and, weren't last in the majors, though. Yeah, really turned it around in August and September. So despite the terrible record, the Braves went 16-8 in the last month of the season and really turned it on. We had uh, Freddie Freeman's best season of his career. He was worth six and a half wins, batted over 300 um ncrt was getting on base left and right yeah he had 340 dansby's up here now yeah once ncrt came back from injury he had 340 uh we had 32 ish games from the top prospect dansby swanson that got everybody that got everybody pretty jacked um the braves were a team that no one really wanted to play at the end of the season they reeled off uh seven consecutive wins against the nationals in miami and then took two or three from Detroit to end the season. So it was a really strong finish for the team. And, um, a lot of people around the organization are really excited this season, having a full year of Dansby Swanson, full year of Matt Kemp, uh, Freddie Freeman coming off his best year ever. And with the addition of the trio of veteran pitchers and R.A. Dickey, Bartolo Colon, and Jaime Garcia coming in to really add a good mixture of, uh, veteran presence and, uh, young players to create sort of a uh, interesting dynamic where um, a lot of people are predicting the Braves to finish kind of in a similar record uh, to where they finished last year, from, uh, similar standings, but I think this is one of the more unpredictable teams in baseball this year, uh, considering that we don't know how everybody's going to play. I think a lot of those people that make those predictions that we're going to be
1: on par with what we were last year probably didn't watch the Braves in August and September.
0: Right. And they really look like a different team. They look like a professional baseball team as opposed to like a triple A or double A squad. Yeah. And and I mentioned this last week, but I mean, that
1: just gives us a sense of hope just like that stretch. Like everything was just so bleak and depressing Um, before then.
0: And just like completely unwatchable. But yeah, I mean, you go back to 2014, the last Two months of that season, Freddie Gonzalez's second epic collapse as a manager. I mean, that team was absolutely pathetic when on paper they should have been competing for another division title. You fast forward to the 2015 season, which was just abysmal after the rebuild started. And then the first half of 2016, I, mean, I went to a couple of games and it was just absolutely atrocious baseball. But uh, once the Matt Kemp move is made... Yeah, that's what really turned
1: it. Finally bringing in a major league caliber player versus yeah. just... All these pro- prospects are great, but eventually you want
0: to see someone ready to play now.
1: Yeah, morale
0: really shot up around the organization and the team, and it showed in the last month and a half of, uh, of baseball. Um, so moving on, so what we're going to do is we're going to break down each uh, player here in terms of uh, the starting lineup, and we'll uh, debate and have some fun shenanigans for you as we uh, break down the numbers and break down... Uh, what we think of these players. So we'll start off with Ender Enciarte, who is slated to be the leadoff man and play center field for the team. Uh, he missed a bunch of games in the first half of the season due to injury. And um, a lot of people, Freddie Freeman especially, have cited that this was a real big problem in terms of getting the offense started and that a lot of people were undervaluing how valuable Ender was to the team. Uh, and when he came back, he hit about 340 over the last half of the season, He's a great defender. He won the Gold Glove in center field last year. He had a slash line of 291 average, 351 on base percentage, and 381 slugging percentage, Uh, and was worth four wins and wins above replacement, which is damn impressive considering he missed almost half the season. Um, I think Ender is going to have a hell of a season this year if he stays healthy. This is a guy who can steal 25-plus bases, has great range, has good... Uh, defensive metrics and uh, and center, and I'm really hoping for and you know around about the same numbers um, in terms of average. You know I'm hoping for about a 285, 350, 388 stash, uh, stat line with about five homers, 45 RBIs, and maybe 20, 25 stolen bases. I think could be uh, would be a really great season for him and scoring a bunch of runs. I hope he can score about 80, 90 runs this season. So.
1: Tendency that I always have to do is to compare what we have now to what we had in the past and uh what we could have had via trades and what have yous. Mm-hmm. And we think when we let uh Hayward when we traded him, like that he like we always thought Hayward was the future, but arguably Ender
0: no not even arguably, he is the better player than Jason Hayward right now. Yeah, I don't think he's on the same level in terms of defensive caliber of player, although he is a really great. I mean, he's center a, he's fielder. a stud out there in center. He but. is. I think Hayward's got better range and is a better overall, right? You know, a better all outfield. I mean, they both play different positions. So it's but Hayward's also making a bitch load of money. and Yes. And Hayward is on a very club friendly deal yeah, for the and, foreseeable future. And especially offensively, there's no comparison. I mean, NC put up better numbers than Jason for the last couple seasons. Yeah. He's younger. He's, um, you know, I'm glad we have him on the team to be a true leadoff hitter. I mean, in the Jason Hayward era, you know, he was asked a lot to be the leadoff guy and be in a position where he wasn't really comfortable being, um, especially after that 2012 season when he had, like, what was it, 28 bombs and was really a source of power for the offense. And then it's like, hey, what the hell has happened to him, by the way? With Hayward? Yeah, like, how has he dropped off from that to what he is now? Uh, It's... The pressure, maybe? It's hard to quantify. I think he was put in a position where he didn't feel like... Uh, he was in a position to succeed. The pressure mounts. You know, you signed that huge deal with uh with Chicago of seven years, hundred eighty eight yeah. million or something like that. And he hasn't lived up to it. Um, you know, he still played elite defense, but offensively he's not what was projected to be in terms of being that elite cornerstone franchise player. So it's a sidebar, but nonetheless I'm happy with Ender. Mm-hmm.
1: In the lineup, uh, once again, thank you, Diamondbacks. I think I could probably say that every single show when we look at uh, any time we see
0: Ender and Dansby do something. Um, just an absurd trade. Yeah, and just to think about it, too, that trade wouldn't have been possible without trading Jason Hayward because you traded Jason Hayward and got uh, Tyrell Jenkins, Cardinals prospect, and Shelby Miller, and then we pull off the coup to get... Swanson, and Ciarte and Aaron Blair for Shelby. And so without Hayward, without oh, the Hayward trade, sure. we don't, we don't right. make, we don't have Ciarte or more importantly, Swanson on the team. We should make up a massive like, what's it, a Venn diagram or
1: a, mm-hmm. some sort of chart with how all these trades and how we ended up with who,
0: and it'll just really, uh, could be like Coppola's like, profile picture or something. Yeah, his masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think all signs point to Ender having another successful season, and we saw it tonight in the game um, with uh, the Yankees in the ex- exhibition tonight, where Arte and, and Dansby are using their um, you know their ability to get on base to set up Freeman. Freeman hits a, a bomb with both of them on base, and I think if those two guys can get on base consistently, then we have a really good chance of competing because you have Freeman and Kemp coming up to drive them in. Haven't had a one-two punch like this since for Call and Giles. I'd agree with you, honestly. I mean, it's kind of sad to say because it's, that's over a decade, but um, you got two guys who can get on base like that. With uh, it's been a while, yeah. And uh, you know, especially if you're getting on base at like a you know three fifty clip with Enciarte, I mean, that's really really solid. And you know, I think he has the ability if he can continue to be disciplined at the plate to improve upon that number, but. Just looking at his career stats, I'm going to stick around a 350 on base percentage, which is more than adequate. Um, So we're moving on to Dansby Swanson. Um, In terms of stats, it's hard to quantify because he only played in about 32 games last year. He had over 300, had three bombs, and I think 13, 17 RBIs, something like that. Um, So this will be the year where we really get a sense of who Dansby is. It's not saying that it'll be a complete evaluation, but we'll be able to start projecting a little more accurately in the future as to what kind of player he's going to be. But all indication from what he did last year, spring training, everything like that, um, seems like he's going to be the real deal in terms of not necessarily a really elite power hitter or anything like that, but a hitter who has the ability to spray the ball to all fields, play really good defense, be really active on the base pass. I expect him to be an elite base runner and hopefully get 15 to 20 steals a season. Yeah, he's not. He's definitely not a selfish.
1: From what I've seen so far, he's not a selfish ball player at all. Not concerned about like putting up the big power numbers. He's going to mm-hmm. just drive the ball where it's pitched, and
0: his he knows his goal is to get on base and score runs. Yeah, which... he he's not a guy that's going to try and force things. He's not going to try and pull the ball and try to hit twenty five homers or anything like right. that. And, uh, one of the, I guess the concerning stats was six errors and like 32 games or whatever last year. So that's a little, that's hmm. a little high for me, but we saw plenty of plays where he was able to make, uh, you know, exceptional play. So I'm going to, you can tell count- he's a great athlete. Yeah, there. absolutely. I'm, I'm going to hopefully, you know, count that up to yips out there. Just, you know, getting your feet wet in the pros for the first time. But, um, but, you know, a lot of projections have him hitting around 250 this year, which i Oh, he's going to beat that. I completely disagree with uh, I have him in the 280 yeah, he's range. He's a 280 guy. Yeah, 280 range for the average, 330 on base, 420 slugging. I think if he can do that, get 20 steals, and uh, play consistently good defense, um, I think he's going to have a damn good season.
1: He's my starting shortstop on my fantasy team, you'll be happier to know. So if I get numbers like that, I'd, I'd be completely content with that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think. Potential uh, keeper. Yeah. And I think he is. Uh, I'm hoping for double-digit home runs. He had three home runs in 32 games last year or whatever yeah. it was. So. One of those was uh, inside the parker, which was a fucking awesome way to start a career, in my opinion. Absolutely. So we're hoping, Dan's we can give us some more excitement this year. And, you know, this is the guy. Just his makeup and what everyone says he can do and what we've seen that he can do, even in his limited playing time. Hopefully this is the guy that you build the franchise around along with uh, Freddie Freeman. Yeah,
1: he's just got that look of a major leaguer. Yep. Chipper Jones-esque.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of Jeter just because of the shortstop thing. I'm not yeah, comparing him to that, Jeter. That's the comparisons
1: he's gotten from a lot of yeah, people, Yeah, but body
0: type in terms of the player he is, you know, Jeter wasn't a big power guy, yep. you know, played great defense and just got on base like a madman and was able to hit the ball to all field. So, if he can be our Jeter and win us five World Series, then...
1: That's another one. We've already, yeah. like, completely forgotten about Simmons.
0: Oh, yeah. Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: think like that was our shortstop of the future, and yeah, I think we've I mean, defense. It's hard to touch Simba, but
0: from an offensive perspective, Swanson projects, a lot more upside. Yeah, projects to be a better player than him, and even though Simmons is kind of like that once in a generation defender, you know, and Swanson can't live up to that. I don't think. I mean, I think hardly anyone can. Um, that's not too concerning for me. If as long as he can no. play adequate defense, which I think he certainly can and hopefully a little bit above average and put up consistent offensive numbers will be in a good spot. Yep. Um, So moving on to Freddie Freeman, Uh, he had the best season of his career last year, despite the fact that he was injured for a lot of the first half and was really cold uh, from about, you know, April to may or June. Yeah, He sucked it up. Yeah. But once we got Kemp, you know, he also went through a hot stretch there, too, but then sort of regressed again, but then we traded for... But he was
1: also really trying to carry that just, like, that awful lineup. There was a
0: lot of pressure on him, and you got to think about it from his perspective. He's seen all his good friends traded away or released with Ugla, you know, things like that. And Ugla? Yeah, he was, was some buddies with Dan. They were good friends? Oh, yeah. They were the best of friends. They were hmm. hugging each other all the time and I hanging do, out. I do
1: kind of miss old good old Dan.
0: And his Kemp. biceps. His biceps were something else, but some fucking bombs. Yeah, um, but once we got Kemp in the trade last last year, he exploded. He hit a career high thirty four homers, was worth over six wins and went above replacement, which is elite. And he had three hundred two, had a four hundred on base percentage, which is an elite number, and slugged five sixty nine, which is that's exactly we want to be if you want to be an elite baseball player that. 300 average, 400 on base, and 500-plus slugging percentage. That means you're doing a lot right. And he also had a over 1,000 on base plus slugging percentage, which is just absurd. Um, to me, he's in the prime of his career and will hopefully be a perennial MVP candidate. And honestly, if the Braves didn't suck as much as they did last year in terms of the record. He would have been, yeah. He would I mean, have he's been. still in the running. He was top five in yeah. voting. So, I mean, That's... imagine if we had had a better record or he right. would have been sniffing the playoffs, what he could have been. yeah. And
1: also, once again, looking back on the past, this is another one of those things. Our decision, there was, that was a huge thing in probably 2013, whether to give Freddie the big contract or, or Jay Hay. Mm-hmm. We
0: made the right decision there, huh? Yeah, and people can talk shit about Frank Wren, but I mean, I think he made the right decision there in terms of who you're going to extend. And kudos to Frank on that one. Yeah. Um, And, you know, people can say what they want about Matt Kemp's defense, which isn't good, or his on-base percentage, which also isn't good. he's lost some weight
1: this year, though. He has,
0: but the mere presence of what he does for the rest of the team around him has transformed transformed this team's play. Yeah. And especially Freddie Freeman, because he was finally, and this is something that Sabermetrics can't quantify, is the mental health of a player. And I think Freddie was not doing well. You know, not that he was like insane or anything like that, but I mean, it's gotta wear on you. These guys aren't machines. You know, we we kind of view them as just guys that play baseball for three hours, and then you know, why should they bitch about anything with all the money they're making? But it gets hard out there when you're losing every day and you don't have anyone to support what you're trying to do. We got to think, how many assholes are there like us that just out here like screaming at these
1: players day in and day out for not constantly producing. Right. I'm sure they hear that every
0: now and then. Oh, and the, yeah. The pressure will build on them. Yeah, and I think Freddie was was feeling that, especially being, you know, saying, hey, this is your franchise now, but you don't got shit to work with. Right. Um, so, yeah, the presence helped with Kemp because we saw last year that the threat of Kemp, opposing pitchers could no longer pitch around Freddie. Yep. Imagine now a full season of this. And Freddie shouldn't suffer really any regression in his numbers, even though a lot of uh, stats and projections are, you know, projecting him to still have a really good season but not where he was. I disagree because I think he really came into his own last year. Um, You know, I I really think he should be where he was and maybe even exceed – the the stats that he had uh, last season. And also, if you think about... He did
1: miss some time, too. So Yeah,
0: exactly. And you think with a full season of Swanson and Ncarte, I expect his RBIs to go up by 15. And, you know, he had his best season defensively as well, saving eight runs, which also contributed to the high wins above replacement. And even though a lot of people will say spring training numbers are irrelevant, he hit 524 this spring. Um, so, say what you will, but that's another worldly stat. Um, He's seen the ball already Yeah, and I I tend to buy him the optimism That Freddie has cemented himself as an elite player Not only at his position But throughout all of Major League Baseball Uh, So I predict another 300 average for him A 410 on base And a 575 slugging percentage With 33 bombs and 105 RBIs I I think that is absolutely doable for Freddie I remember early
1: last year Freddie had like 10 home runs and like 13 RBIs yeah, because who was that? He was just hitting solo home runs. There was that dude that we got from the A's, our second starting second baseman last year, our starting shortstop as well. Oh, oh God. God, what were those guys' names? Yeah, Eric Ibar. Eric Ibar. Yeah. Just complete garbage. And that was our leadoff hitter last year, the guy batting in front of Freddie, and he was just an automatic out. So, yeah, I mean, if these guys are getting on base, then Freddie's, I mean, those numbers could be even
0: higher than that. Yeah, no, I think he's going to continue to have an excellent career and have another excellent season. And I think we're looking at the advent of his prime, and that should get everybody really pumped. Yep. Uh, moving on to Matt Kemp, who's projected to that fourth in the lineup. Um, had a okay season last year. I mean, you look at the 35 home runs and 180 RBIs, and you immediately think, oh, man, you know, amazing season. But only hit two sixty-eight with a three hundred four on base percentage, which is really weak. So that means he's not drawing a lot of walks. He's not getting on base as much as he should. Um, But as we mentioned, his mere presence. Power presence. uh, Helps everyone out. And, you know, the impact he can have on other players can't really be measured. Um, So I think he'll serve a similar role this season um, in terms of protecting Freddie. If he stays healthy, you know, to me, Kemp really is the key to us having success this year. If he is there and allows Freddie to knock in Ender and Dansby, then we'll have a chance of being hopefully a 500-baseball team or maybe more if we really overachieve. If not, then it's going to be really tough because people can just pitch around to Freddie and get to Marcakis and Phillips, who, while they shouldn't be treated lightly, aren't the threat that Matt Kemp is, at least from a uh, power standpoint. I don't fully understand why
1: the Padres wanted to... They were, I, Just so
0: ready to get rid of this guy for our... um... Uh, For Oliveira. Yeah. I think uh, it was kind of one of those things where you sort of wear your welcome out in a place. was sort of the perception of it. I think from a locker room standpoint, it wasn't working. And that, you know, considering what the Padres gave up to get Kemp from L.A., you know, they were expecting MVP 2011 Kemp and they weren't getting that. And I think they were just sort of fed up as an organization with what they were getting a bit in the locker room in terms of attitude and then a bit, even though he's been nothing but great here. Um, and then just not for what they gave up, they weren't getting that return on investment. Right. So, so the, the knock against Kemp. Yeah. So the knock against Kemp is his below average defense. He has really poor marks in his range uh, and doesn't save runs. Really. He gives them up uh, 31 to be precise from last season. he, allowed 31 extra runs Um, and his ability to take a walk is meager at best. He doesn't really work the count as evidenced by his 304 on base percentage. Um, For context, a a good on base is in the 340, 350 range and an elite one is 400. So that's going to be the knock on Kemp and I don't expect that to change. I don't think, despite the fact that he's really gotten more in shape, he's lost the the weight that he had put on over the last few years, I think he's still going to be kind of the same player that he was last year. His numbers might go down a little bit, but I still expect, you know, a solid season of, you know, hitting 250, 260 with 30 bombs and 100 RBIs. And maybe he won't be the best player in terms of saver metrics, but he'll be that protector we he need. Totally in, works in the four hole. Yeah, and driving runs. So that's really all that matters for me with him. And hopefully his defense doesn't hurt us that much. So batting fifth will be Nick Markakis. Uh He's been really solid throughout his career. And he looks to have another competent season. Um, you know, he's a guy who really works the count. Seems to always get into a two and one, three and one count to set him up to uh, hopefully, you know, get a nice opposite field single. Uh, his power went up. You know, when he came here in 2015, he was coming off neck surgery, and he only hit three home runs. He had 13 last year, so the power come back a little bit. Um, solid defender. His arm strength isn't what is what it was in Baltimore, but. He's, he's not the same liability that Kemp is in the other, in, in left field. So I hope to that just Nick has another solid, dependable season that we're accustomed to seeing from him now over the last two seasons. He was one of
1: these guys. I remember when we signed him, because
0: this was before 2015, when we were clearly... I think this is the 2014 offseason we signed him. So this is preparing for the 2015 season. Yeah, 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 so it was like
1: the year coming in. We knew what we were doing. We had mm-hmm. sold all of our assets off Mm -hmm. and everyone was just questioning the signing like what direction are we actually going why are we trading all our best players but then signing this guy and Mm -hmm. paying him some money but I mean he's just one of those veterans you got to have in your squad and having him now coming into this season where we kind of want to be respectable now right at least 500 and I mean having a guy like Nick is uh exactly what we need and
0: I'm sure he's taught these young guys a lot about just how to be a professional yeah, and and it was interesting that signing, but I'm I'm okay with it. It is kinda weird when you're rebuilding to sign this kind of on the wrong side of thirty outfielder. It's a pretty team friendly deal. Yeah. But um There's worse deals out there. Absolutely. It's not like we really overpaid for him or anything like that. So um so I hope for him to boost his batting average a little bit, two seventy four, get on base of like a three sixty clip and about a 380, 390 uh, slugging percentage. Um, Brandon Phillips is going to bat sixth. And this is um, where the lineup starts to get a little, I wouldn't say questionable, but given Phillips' age, um, you know, he's also another guy who doesn't get on base a lot had a 320 on base percentage, not drawing enough for walks. His defensive range is still pretty good for his age, but it's definitely declined as he's gotten older. He's around 36 years old. Um one of the things it can still hit though. He can still hit and we're only paying him a million dollars. So if he has like a really atrocious That's season, an unbelievable deal. Yeah, then so be it and then hopefully Albies is ready to take over, you know, sooner rather than yeah. later. But something this kind of reminded me of something that we did in the past, even though it's totally different in some ways in terms of money and what we were expecting. But, um, you know, a guy hits 291 one year and then comes to the Braves and hits 230. Ooh. Who does that sound like to you? It could be a number of people, I feel like. What? Recently, second baseman that we traded for, had a really good season. And you're not talking ugly, are you? I am talking ugly. Ugly hit 291 at it, one point. It was like 287 or 8 or something like that the year before we got him. Of yeah. course, the expectations were entirely different from
1: that. That first year we got him, though, he also hit like,
0: was that his like 32 game hit yeah. streak with so us? Yeah. So he had a good, he had a couple good he, he years. He had with a good us. month, he had a good month and a half pretty yeah. much with us out of like four seasons. But, anyways, I was, it was I'm kind still of. Still a Dan Ugly guy. I applauded his effort and his hustle. It's just, it didn't it just didn't <laughs> work out. He just, Did you applaud him? You didn't boo him and cuss him out? I think I did once when I was just getting really frustrated, but I understood that his effort was there and I was mistaken to question him in terms of – and I wasn't questioning his effort. I was just – the results weren't there and you're paying this much for this guy and expecting him to be, you know, your guy on offense and he just didn't deliver that. Who
1: did he go to after us, the Nationals? Anything worse than when he hit that game-winning Grand Slam with the Nationals
0: against us? I – predicted that from a mile away. That was the worst yeah. feeling. Jim Johnson was there, and I was like, he's I think win. that
1: was the end of, like, the Braves being respectable. Yes. Right before the sell-off, yep. Dan Ugly hits a grand slam. Yeah. They're like, okay, fire Frank Wren. Yeah, fire
0: everyone. That trade was,
1: trade anyone who's decent.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was the kiss of death. Yep. Um, but even though it's an unfair comparison because we expected so much from Ugly, and don't really expect much from no. Phillips. I was just kind of thinking about veteran second baseman yeah. being traded,
1: Coming to a new team. Honestly, the big difference is the contract, though. Like yes. one million versus fifteen million. Like one million now in baseball, they could pay me or you. To, like if we're coming in, they got to give us at least a mill, right? Right to hit one twenty-seven. If that, yeah, that's yeah. that's being charitable to try to touch the ball. So right, all right, another veteran presence type guy. That uh, dude on Twitter, if you're
0: looking for him, that dude BP. Yeah, um, uh, Georgia native. Known for making slick plays on the field, as we've seen in spring training. Um, Could be a good guy for Dansby. I think he's going to be a great mentor for Dansby, and I I think this is just going to be a one-year stint, and I think he'll either – I don't think he's going to retire because I think he's still got a little bit of gas left in the tank. I mean, he can still hit the ball, 291, Mm -hmm. even though I know batting average isn't the ultimate quantifiable, like is a player good or not number. That still means you're hitting the ball pretty well. Yeah. So I'm expecting, hopefully, that he's able to put up similar numbers hitting at least, even though he's not going to walk that much, and that he's going to, you know, I think the great thing about bringing these veterans in that the Braves have been doing, either in the rotation or in the lineup, is that it's going to give the young players someone to to follow and someone to look up to and someone a to, mentor, if you will. a mentor. To set an example for how the game should be played, and Brandon Phillips has always been a good teammate and a good guy, and, and so I think this will be great for Dansby. And, you know, if something happens later in the season where, uh, you know, Ozzy Albies is caught up in yeah. September or maybe sooner and, you know, Phillips is sort of splitting time with them, who better to teach Albies than an established Major League Baseball player who's been a, you know, premier player at second base for 15 seasons?
1: Could also do what I like to call a copy special. And maybe he has a hell of a first half. Mm-hmm. And Ozzy's clearly ready for us, So, but we're not necessarily a playoff team. Trade him off for some more prospects, and we just got
0: two more prospects for $1 bucks, basically. Yeah, so either way, you know, there's some good opportunities to come yep. from Phillips being here. All right, so batting seventh and slated to play third base is Adonis Garcia, who's been on the team for the last two years. Uh, came up about with 58 games or so left to play in the 2015 season and hit 10 home runs in those 58 games, so people were getting a little excited about his power. Um, hit 277, only had a 293 on base percentage. Hardly walked, only walked five times in 58 games, which is not good, so really aggressive swinger. Uh, definitely improved on that heading into the next season as he played a complete uh, season pretty much. Played 134 games. Definitely spelled at times, but um, hit 273 with a 311 on base percentage. Still,
1: I'll not- take that from a number number seven hitter.
0: Yeah, still nothing to write home about, but you know, with a guy who, an Adonis who is uh, 31 years old, never played in the Bigs until he was 30, clearly Donnie is a stopgap for either Rio. Ruiz or someone else to eventually take over the third base position
1: but also serviceable and Graham I've noticed you tend to take the negatives on these players pointing out his less than acceptable on base percentages and what have yous but I mean the guy's only been in the majors a year and a half he's got uh
0: 24 homers to his name I think, though, considering I, his age, I don't see a lot of room for improvement from what we're getting. Julio Franco is that name ring a bell? He didn't exactly improve as he got older. Oh, he did. You think so? Oh yeah. Let's do a quick stat check. <laughs> all right? Let's let's look up Julio Franco. Dun, dun,
1: dun, 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 dun. Um,
0: stats. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no. Dun, 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 dun. Let's look up Julio dun, Franco here. Dun, 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 dun.
1: Who played 23
0: years. Son of a bitch. And is still playing. Probably Uh, somewhere. Okay, so let's look at when he came to the Braves, because that's what we care about, right? So just for context, Julio played from 1982 until 2007. That's absurd. For those of you keeping track out there, that is 25 years which is 2007 absolutely ridiculous. So let's take a look at his stats here. He played on one, two, three. Played on seven different teams. Came to the Braves in 2001. And hit 300. And hit 300, but he only played in 25 games, so don't okay. get too excited. Next season, he played 125 games and hit 284. So that's better than what Adonis did. Yep. Two ninety four the next season. Three oh nine. Look at that on base percentage. Three seventy two. Stun. Damnation. His <laughs> WAR wasn't that great, which must you know, so which you can attribute to maybe defensive struggles. But had three oh nine the next season in two thousand four, and then regressed in two thousand five with a two seventy five on. But base. that's
1: when he's like forty four.
0: Yeah. So the point being thirty one. Yeah. But how many guys? are gonna be like Julio Franco. I mean, he's clearly an outlier. No one plays twenty five years in, in baseball anymore. No one plays no. freaking three decades. But Adonis has only played a year and a half. But he, so But keep in mind Be that a, as he may, what what a, year he is Adonis didn't start playing until he was thirty one, whereas Julio Franco started playing out of the womb pretty much.
1: I'm sure he was Adonis was playing somewhere before he was, he was playing I'm talking about
0: in in MLB though. And I think that's the the key component here is that Adonis has only played two years in base in professional Major League Baseball and he's 32 years old. There's not a lot of room for improvement here. But for the most part, for what the Braves have had over the last
1: five years of hitters, a guy hitting 273 with power potential, batting number seven, we'll take that. Yeah, it's not it's not what you want from a like obviously third base, that's a you expect a lot more uh, production out of that right. position, but he's not going to kill us.
0: Yeah, I maybe not at the plate in the field. He's hit or miss. Um, let it, it, is, it is hilarious that like he was just garbage
1: at the beginning. Like that's why he got sent down this past like in 2016. Mm-hmm. It's because of his defense. Yeah, and then he goes back to the minors. We're trying to teach him to play left field. He gets called back up to the majors plays third base and then he's a stud defensively.
0: He was alright defensively. He still was he improved he considerably. Am, he improved, still gave up uh, ten runs last year um, in terms of defensive run saved in terms of the average. But he that was, that's for the whole year. What was it after he returned from the minors? I didn't check that so okay. I was just looking for the whole year. Okay, stats my, guy minus stats, stats guy. Okay. My, minus ten defensive runs save yeah,
1: yeah, that that was probably all before he went back. That was over actually his entire playing career. So, minus 10. Alternative effects. Alternative
0: effects, probably. Um, but point he improved considerably defensively after going to the minors. From the eye test, yeah, I, I would say so. Yes. And it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, we know he's not going to draw a lot of walks. He's not going to get on base as much as he could. But I like his pop. I like his attitude. He doesn't complain. He, he does what's asked of him. And hopefully he can continue to be a solid contributor and... Driving some runs, hit a couple of homers, and uh, keep the seat warm for Rio Ruiz or whoever we want to eventually get in here at third base. Moving on to Tyler Flowers, who's projected to be the uh, starting catcher. Graham, you're a big Tyler Flowers guy, aren't you? Not the biggest Tyler Flowers guy, although I will admit he had a really good season last year for him. Hit 270, um, had on base of 357, and a slugging percentage of 420, which is definitely. Uh, An outlier in terms of his career numbers where he's normally a uh, 230 header, definitely below that on on base and slugging. So um, I definitely see, yeah, he's only a 302 on base percentage for his career, which is certainly alarming. Quite shitty at throwing out runners as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's terrible at throwing out runners. He only caught three of sixty base stealers last season, and so I'm pretty sure Gabe Peacock did better than that. Yeah, I'd imagine Mustang Gabe Pe- year uh, when we were nine years old
1: at Medlock Park.
0: Yeah, our good friend Gabe Peacock played uh, catcher for our traveling. Uh, baseball team when we were little nine and ten, eleven, and twelve year olds. great great at blocking the ball, but he could barely throw the ball past the pitcher. Yeah, it always like double hot to the second baseman and when I see Tyler Flowers throw the ball, I kind of think about that. Like this this game tonight he almost got Brandon Phillips's balls taken off. He threw the ball so far up the line up the line that Phillips had to catch the ball and as he's in midair the the runner Sort of goes right under his legs, and his helmet runs right into his balls. So Flowers is going to be a little inaccurate in terms of how he throws the ball. And you know, you could tell Brandon was not uh, pleased at all. No, he picked up the other guy's helmet, which fell off, and was like, "God damn it!" You could just see it in his yeah, eyes. He was pissed. Yeah. So Tyler's got a little pop, though. A little pop. Yeah, I, I, and his, his he's, he's better than AJ Pierzynski, at least last year. Uh, you know, Flowers was expected to be the backup catcher last year when Pruszynski wasn't repeating the, you know, amazing season he had in 2015. Flowers took over the starting job mostly. Uh, he had a .366 uh, average in terms of um, batting average for the balls in play, which, is a, which was a career high. I uh, expect that to go down considerably. I expect him to kind of go back to where he was for his career just because of his age. And How old he, is he? He's uh, he's in his mm-hmm. early thirties. You're really hating on these early thirties baseball players, well, you aren't you? You get to that point when you haven't played that he's thirty-one. Much. Okay, he's thirty-one. Considering his That's age, though, and considering how he's played, he's grizzled. He's never done as well as he's had. the The last time he was, you know, even put up numbers even close to this, which he hasn't across the board. But the last time he, you know. The highest batting average he had before his he came average has been quite was shitty. 241. Yeah. He's never had a on-base percentage over 300 in terms of playing a full season. So to me, the odds are against him to repeat this given his career stats. I'll agree with you on this one. Um, so I don't expect him to repeat last year. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I expect sort of going back to where he was with like a 240 average, 300 on-base percentage, 380 slugging. And I expect us to be absolutely – and I think this is one of the areas where we will get torched this year is having, you know, these fast guys in the NL East like a Trey Turner, a Harper, um, and other guys like that. Uh, D Gordon just stealing over our asses all season because Tyler Flowers can't throw out anybody. Three of 60. Well, at least we this got ball. Julio's – Pickoff move to counteract that. Well, I think there's that which is. You nice. You think Ra Dickey has a good pickoff move? Well, I was actually about to bring that up. Is that you know Ra and Bartolo aren't throwing that hard, and Jaime Garcia doesn't light up the oh, radar Mala. gun either. Yeah. That's so really if those guys let people on, <laughs> and Flowers is catching them, there's an open invitation to steal a base. I could see Ra just throwing knuckleballs over to first base and getting past Freddie. Yep. Freddie's going to need to get a uh, one of those special catcher's gloves yep. that Suzuki's going to have to use this year. Yeah, that's a good point. With the, we we have some slow ass pitchers. Yeah, so if you combine that with you know below average defense from Kemp and things like that, and then uh, and then you got a guy who can't throw out anybody and is not the best framer in the world in terms of pitches. I mean, defensively, we could definitely struggle this year. But so comes with a rebuilding year, and and catcher really is that one position in the uh, organization as a whole where we don't really have. That next guy. We never have. Remember when Christian Betancourt was that guy? Yeah, I remember when he was. And that was a pitcher. Is he still with the Padres? He's pitching for the Padres. Yeah, and so yeah, he was supposed to be the guy and uh, didn't materialize. And so I wonder if that's one of those things where the front office might try to take a look at uh, something in free agency. I'm not sure which catchers are going to be available, but we don't really have an answer right now in the uh, in the minor league system that I know of that is one ready to take over two is even in the conversation to take over so catcher is definitely a can you name like who's one catcher in the minors right now who we have i don't know i <laughs> exactly. have to go to the computer and that's yeah, the problem. exactly so
1: i'm sure corky miller's still around somewhere or corky miller or paul Baco, maybe God, uh, bobby loved corky miller God, he th- that man had the slowest bat speed. Yeah, he would always
0: put him in as a pinch hitter. Yeah. And it was like, what <laughs> it, the it fuck? Strikeout. Yeah, it was like, here's a guy that hits two twelve. And um You know who's actually turned out pretty good? Brian
1: Pena. Brian. Remember he was a prospect for us? Oh yes. I think this was the McCann, he was like a backup to McCann. Mm-hmm. And he went to the Reds and was like a bit of a stud. And the Royals, he won a World Series. That's right. Yeah, he was certainly serviceable. Yeah, we'd take that guy.
0: So those are the... Uh, that's for the starting lineup, the, our little preview there. So just to recap, Enciarte, Dansby, Freeman, Kemp, Marquez make up your top five with Phillips, Garcia, and Tyler Flowers running out the bottom of the order. And that's where we start to have more questions, particularly with Adonis mm-hmm. Garcia and Tyler Flowers in terms of their offensive contributions, and especially with Flowers on the defensive side, along with Kemp. I would say Flowers and Kemp are your defensive liabilities. Freeman, NCRT, and Dansby are the key to us scoring runs. If those top two guys get on base, Frey drives them in, or or Kemp does, then we're in business. And then whatever Marquecas and Phillips gives you is icing on the cake. The bottom of the lineup is a mystery in terms of how they're going to perform. If they're going to be able to actually produce anything, that's uh, worthwhile. And we've also learned
1: that Adonis is our most controversial brave, at least on this podcast.
0: Absolutely. There will be plenty of shit talked if he is really good or really shitty. So the bench is definitely thin. you got guys like Travis Darno and Jace Peterson. Actually, Chase Darno, Graham. Fuck. Well... Chase Darnot, not his brother, Travis, in New York. And Jace Peterson, these two are kind of uh, super utility guys. And then you got uh, Kurt Suzuki as well, your back. I'm, I'm a big fan of. We might have to get into a discussion here in a second. And then probably Bonifacio, Emilio Bonifacio, rounds out your, your bench. So no really big power hitter to come in late in the game to try and hit a homer for you to put you over the edge. Um yeah, the power is a problem. Yeah, decent speed from Bonifacio in terms of plugging in a pinch runner. Um, I like having Jace. I think he's definitely the best player on the bench in terms of, you know, utility guy who can come in and play re- regularly if someone gets injured. Yeah, he's the
1: only guy, like, generally on a bench, you'll have, like, one guy that you're like, this guy could be a starter. Mm-hmm. And Jace is pretty much that only guy. Yeah, he's the next man up for sure if someone gets Unless down. we're talking about Kurt Suzuki, because our other option is Tyler Flowers. Right. So tell me what you like about. Suzuki I think I've drafted him on my fantasy team For like five years in a row And he always gets to be a lot of bombs So I've never actually watched the guy play But
0: I'm basing it solely off that Yeah He has He can hit a little bit
1: For a catcher There's not a lot of offensive Minded catchers Yeah He'll hit 240,
0: 250 He has a Shitty, shitty, shitty On base percentage In terms of his career Only 311 So he doesn't draw a lot of walks Or can on base that much He was, it was only at 301 last season Which is atrocious uh, he's also been historically shitty at throwing out base stealers and only caught 12 of 52 last season. And his numbers have been around that average for the last five years. Uh, he had, a, I think, one really good season early on in his career. But other than that, he has been really bad at throwing out. You think the old argument of switching to the NL will help him, though? Why would that help him? I don't know.
1: Works for pitchers, maybe it'll work for catcher too. I don't see
0: the uh, <laughs> <laughs> no correlation. No, I don't see the correlation there because you know, for a pitcher, you're not dealing with an extra batter. For the catcher, you're still dealing with guys who can get on base and steal you blind if you suck at throwing them out. Yeah, my
1: greater point is, I'm more excited about Flowers Suzuki than Pierzinski Flowers.
0: So I see this progress. I see it as about even in the sense that well I guess Pruszynski didn't really have a good season last year but he was garbage yeah I think I think we can both agree that catcher is definitely our shittiest um, and will be for the foreseeable future yeah shittiest position and could definitely be a uh, point of embarrassment disappointment and um, lead us to not winning as many games as we could because of poor framing inability to throw out runners and probably below average performance at the plate. Or it could be a pleasant surprise.
1: One can only hope. So that wraps us up for part one of a special two-part Atlanta Braves 2017 season preview. Uh, Coming up next, we will preview both the starting pitching and
0: the bullpen, along with our prediction for the overall season. So our social media information, um, we have a Facebook page, at Atlanta's Own Sports Podcast, and we have a Twitter, at ATL's Own Sports. And subscribe to us on iTunes, and spread the word, tell your friends about the show if you really enjoy it, and think they would like hearing uh, two drunks rant about Atlanta sports. For Graham Waldrop, I'm Adam hospital Hospitaminous it.